Where is your home? For some, the answer is easy, but for others, that comes with a lot more questions. In our story today, we meet a young girl looking for a place to rest and call home. Can she find it? Let's find out. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast, where we share the gospel of Jesus Christ through the art form of audio drama. (laughs) Yes, and that includes sound effects. We do this by using true-life stories of real people. I'm Timothy Gregory, and I have to ask, where do you call home? With family? With friends? Is it a location? Or maybe just the place you feel the most safe? Friends, Home is where the heart is, and there is one who is looking to be your ultimate and final home. We're going to find out who that is on today's Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast. Life can be complicated and confusing, and having someone or some place to come back to can make all the difference. Maybe you have a loving family, maybe you don't, but There is someone who is always waiting for you in the midst of life and ready to receive you into his family. Also, you want to stick around because later we are going to give the rest of you an opportunity to enter yet another sweepstakes drawing for a prize. No, it's not a cash prize, but it is a prize, and I think it's a prize you are really going to like if we draw your name. But first, let's get to it, folks, with the true story of a woman we're calling Laura. Laura, you're absolutely sure you want this information? Yes, ma'am. I am. Well, the law says now that you're 18, you have the right to know. Yes, thank you. But that doesn't mean it's a good idea. What do you mean? I understand you're curious. Anyone would be. But I want you to understand I consider this law wrong. And sometimes it's better to never learn the facts. Why would it be better? Trust me. Well... You've never had to wonder who your parents are or what happened to them. True, I haven't. Or wonder, as I have, why I was born in a mental institution and lived there for the first five years of my life. You're right. But sometimes answers just lead to more questions. I want to know. All right. You were born in the mental institution because your mother was a patient there. What was her name? Norma. And the last name you bear is hers. Why didn't I ever see her? Her condition was so bad, it wouldn't have meant anything to her to see you, and might only have been frightening to you as a child. If she was that disturbed, how did she ever get pregnant? Norma had been hospitalized for some time before showing encouraging signs of improvement. When she was 35, the doctors felt she could function as an individual in society and released her. Shortly after that, she met your father. What was his name? I can't supply that information. I can, however, say that he was married with three children. What? He had a family? He did. Your mother's emotional condition deteriorated rapidly, and she was returned to the institution. And then I was born. Yes. A great mistake. How can you? It's me you're talking about. I understand that, Laura. But in terms of quality of life, your birth would be very hard to justify. For you, maybe, but easy for me. I'm alive. Being your caseworker for the past 18 years, 
well, let's just say your file reflects an extremely difficult life. Of course my life hasn't been easy. But there was only one time I thought I wanted to die. And then I knew I was wrong. Laura, one reason I've been opposed to this interview is the fear that you'd become overwrought. Well, can you blame me? You just said how much better it would have been if I could have been killed. Killed is not the correct word. Isn't it? My mother was helpless, and so was I. And if people like you could have had your way, you would... That's not what I meant. No one has the right to rob another person of life. Not even one in my situation. The woman in our story came to understand, in full measure, the phrase, quality of life. This happened when her life went from empty to overflowing. This is the classic true story of the woman we are calling Laura, right now on Unshackled. I was born in 1952 in a state hospital. I was a favorite of hospital personnel who desperately tried to give me love, attention, and understanding. The staff went out of their way to teach me things a child should know. One of the nurses was like a mother to me, even taking me home with her for a real Thanksgiving dinner. There was also the friendly secretary who worked in the office. She always kept a supply of candy in her desk. Don't tell me someone's sneaking round in here. <laughs> I bet it's a mouse again after my candy. Gotcha. Got me. <laughs> I did. I caught you. You catch me every time. Go on. Get yourself a piece of candy. Yay! Now, don't tell anyone it's me rotting your teeth out. Okay. What have you been up to? Um, I got in trouble. You did? Mrs. Hunter caught me turning the TV on and off. Uh-oh. Yeah, she said before to leave it alone. But you didn't. It's funny. Well, you must mind Mrs. Hunter. She spanks me, but it doesn't hurt. Don't let her know that. I won't. Well, run along now and play. I just thought of something I need to take care of. What? Well, maybe I'll tell you someday. Right now, I want to have a talk with one of our doctors. Are you saying you think this child has normal intelligence? I'm certain of it. I talk to Laura almost every day, and she's growing into a very bright little girl. And why do you believe your observations are valid? Well, I've got nieces and nephews about the same age. They're average or better than average intelligence, and Laura is right up there with them. If you'll run tests, doctor, you'll find out it's true. Well, let's just suppose you're right. What's going to happen to her? For one thing, we'll know she shouldn't be locked up in a place like this. True. She'd be dismissed from here, but still remains a ward of the state, so she'll probably get placed in a foster home. Oh, that's wonderful. Not always. Some foster parents open their homes to children out of concern and a desire to be helpful, but others just want a check from the state. Well, she might be placed in a good one. Or one that could make this mental hospital look like a great place to grow up in. Then how can we make sure she's safe and happy? That's just it. We can't. My first foster home was wonderful. It was filled with peace, love, and understanding. I was taken to Sunday school and church every week. In public school, I had no trouble getting good grades. After a year of living with my foster family, I imagine life continuing on with them forever. 
one moment. Yes? Hello. I'm Sybil, Laura's caseworker. Ah, yes, I remember meeting... She needs to get her bag and meet me at the car. There must be some mistake. There's no mistake. Laura's being transferred. But we didn't agree. We, we haven't... I'll be waiting. She hasn't even eaten. We were just sitting down. Please, sir, say your goodbyes and send her out. <laughs> Laura, stop blubbering. Yes, ma'am. Did I do something wrong? What do you mean? If they don't want me anymore, I, I must have done something. Stop fussing about it, Laura. And please, stop that silly crying. <laughs> I was sure that I had done something to make my foster family dislike me, and that guilt stayed with me until I was 18 years old and at last learned the truth. The change was not due to any fault of mine. My foster father had been transferred to a job in another state. Since I was a ward of my own state, it wasn't possible to allow me to be taken out of the state to live. Again and again, I was moved from one foster home to another. In 13 years, I lived in 10 different homes. Through all of the moving and the experience of being uprooted again and again, I became self-conscious, insecure, lonely, withdrawn, and just plain scared. In some of the homes, there was reason to be scared. This food tastes terrible. Why don't you find something to cook besides cabbage? Uh, I'm sorry. Really, I am. Sorry doesn't make this stuff taste any better. I'll try to do better next time. Well, if you want to do better, start with something besides cabbage. Uh, that takes money. Well, you got someone living right here who's big enough to get an after-school job and help put food on the table. Um, I've never had a job. That's because you're 11. I don't think you know what you're saying. Maybe not, but I know that she ought to be sent back to where her mother is. Please, uh, can I go to my room? Go ahead, Laura, and I apologize for both of us. Don't apologize for me. I've done nothing wrong. Go ahead, dear. That was a cruel thing to say. Laura can't help it that people made a horrible mistake. Ah, oh, shut up. <gasps> Everett! You talk too much. You know something? I'm going down to the bar and have a couple of drinks. You mean to tell me you have money to buy drinks, but you can't give me enough of an allowance for decent groceries? I said shut up. You should be ashamed of yourself. Like I said, shut up! School became more important to me than ever. It was the only place where I was safe from the drunken arguments and from actual violence. More and more, I became a punching bag for both my foster parents. I was struck with belts, switches, and of course, hands and fists. The beatings were bad, but they were not the worst of it. Laura. What do you want? I want to come in. The, the door isn't locked. The door isn't locked, isn't that nice? You know it doesn't have a lock. Where's mom? She went to see some friends. Then I'd better get down to the kitchen. Stay where you are. That bed will do just fine. <laughs> Let go of me. Don't holler. And don't no, fight me. No, don't. Shut up. Please. Just shut up. It happened often. 
and there was usually a beating to go with it. This is just to remind you what'll happen if you say anything to my wife. Are you gonna keep quiet about us? Yes. Yes. That's good. You say anything, and you'll get more than a whipping. I'll have you sent back to that nut house you came out of. I became despairing and hopeless, but I hadn't even seen the worst of it. Folks, we'll get back to Laura's story in just a moment. But first, I want to share a bit about how our ministry is able to bring hope to people all over the world. Unshackled is now in its 71st year of spreading the good news through powerful stories about real people. Our success is a result of God's blessing and the involvement of, well, supporters like you. When you contribute to Unshackled, it has a direct impact. Your support allows us to hire quality writers, talented actors, as you can hear, a skilled production team, and a devoted staff. Through your support, we're able to share Unshackled worldwide. So, in order to continue the work of spreading the gospel and allowing us to offer this program for free, won't you consider making a donation to Unshackled? It's really quite easy. All you need to do is click on the live link, if there's one where you're listening, or visit our podcast website at unshackledpodcast.org. That's unshackledpodcast.org. Dot org and then click the donate button. Or you can always write a check, unshackled, we take checks. You mail that check to 1458 South Canal Street, Chicago, Illinois, 60607. We thank you for your partnership in our ministry. And now, back to Laura's true story. Some things can't be kept secret, and the beatings were one of them. Teachers at school, especially one of the men, became suspicious. Okay, uh, Laura, uh, I need a word before you leave. Am I in trouble? No. Did I do something wrong? No, Laura, I, I just wanted to talk. About what? All the marks you're covering? Oh, uh, it's, it's nothing. It's not the first time you've come to school with bruises. I just got a little spanking last night. Nothing serious. You say nothing serious about bruises like that? I've had worse. Have you told anyone about these beatings? No. Not even your caseworker? I don't want her to know. Anyway, she only comes around to see me about three times a year. I think I better report it. No, please don't. Why not? If my foster parents knew I told anybody, do you know how badly I'd get beat? The beatings became more and more a part of the everyday routine. And when my foster father was drunk, I was abused in a myriad of ways. The pain and suffering became too much for me, and I really didn't want to live anymore. One Saturday afternoon, just after another beating, I took a belt and prepared to hang myself with it. But as I did, it seemed that a soft voice speaking inside my head said, Laura, don't do it. And I threw the belt to the floor. That night at the end of my emotional strength, I cried out to God. Why? Why me? <laughs> of all the people in the world, why did you choose me to go through this hell? 
Why? 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 It must have been just about that time that I found myself alone at home on a Friday evening and turned on the television. A famous evangelist was speaking. One of the most widespread problems of people in our day is simply loneliness. We may have a population explosion, but people who may be jammed into great cities remain lonely, though surrounded by others. It has been true in all places and at all times. Jesus spoke to the needs of lonely people when he said, I will not leave you comfortless. In the Bible, we read the promise of God. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We can always go to God the Father with our needs. Jesus said, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Now, the idea that all members of the human race are children of God is not supported by scripture. Rather, in our unregenerate condition, we are children of Satan. But God, in his grace, has made a way by which we can come to him and pray, Abba, Father, and know that we are heard. The way is Christ Jesus. Jesus said, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Through Jesus we come to God the Father. Trust in Christ. He will not leave you comfortless. I thought, I have no earthly parents to speak of, but there is a heavenly Father who is better than any human being on earth. There in the half-darkness of the living room, I bowed my head and said, Jesus, will you come into my heart and help me? I'm sorry about the suicide attempt, and I need you. A wonderful feeling rushed over me, and my heart, which had been heavy with guilt and discouragement, became as light as a feather. For two days, I kept it all to myself. But then I just had to tell someone and chose my foster mother. Don't get too near the stove. You'll get splattered with grease. Okay, sorry. Mom, do you know what happened to me the other night? What's that? Laura! What happened to you, Laura? I decided to believe in Jesus as my savior and ask him to help me. Oh, Laura. I don't need to hear that sort of thing. Can't you see I'm busy? Now, run along and find something to do besides telling me such nonsense. After that, Sundays couldn't come fast enough. Stories from the Bible kept me on the edge of my chair. Then my foster father died, and it was time for another move. The reason you can't stay where you are is that the law says there must be two parents in every foster home. So where am I going? That's the problem, Laura. We don't have a place to take you just now. So what do I do? You'll live in the hospital till something opens up. The hospital? 
The same one you were born in. But that place is for people who are... <laughs> disturbed. We'll do what we can. The plan is to give you a locked room to study in. You're locking me up? No. We're locking the disturbed patients out, so you won't be bothered. But I'll be going to school every day, right? We've seen to that. I had a talk with the principal yesterday. He insisted on one precaution. What kind of precaution? While you're at school, you are not to tell anyone where you live. What if someone asks me? Don't you dare let anyone know you live in the mental hospital. Make up a lie if you have to. The pressure I felt during that time was overwhelming. After a few months, my caseworker was able to assign me to a new foster home. It was a good one, with warm and loving people. But it came too late for me. I had become despondent, very withdrawn, and had no desire to trust anyone. One morning, every nerve in my body snapped. Your breathing sounds better. Why don't you tell me in your own words what happened? I'm not sure. When I woke up, I, I started shaking. The way you're shaking now? No matter how hard I tried to stop, I, I, I couldn't. Have you been using any kind of drugs or alcohol? No, doctor. Well, we'll run some tests, Laura. Meanwhile, you can return home, but come back if it worsens. The diagnosis was a severe nervous breakdown. I received medication, was pulled out of school, and was supplied with a tutor. Perhaps the best thing that happened to me was overhearing the family talk about how I was sure to suffer a relapse and have to be sent back to the institution permanently. Those words gave me the determination, and God gave me the will to survive to fight my weakness and pull myself together. I marched forward, making progress every day and putting an end to my illness. In January of 1973, when I was 20 years old, I joined the Army. I didn't know why God had placed me there, but I began to see why. Up to that time, I was a timid, very withdrawn person, vulnerable to believing anything I was told. But in the service, I toughened up. Also, it so happened, I became a badly backslidden Christian. Late in the fall of 1974, I faced a problem, so I took it to my superiors. All right, so the rabbit test is positive. Have you any idea how much time has passed? As of today, about four weeks. Well, then, under Army regulations, you have two choices. You can have it, and we'll arrange for adoption, or the doctors can terminate it. You understand? Yes, Captain. Do you think you're ready to make a decision now? Well, I don't want a child of mine to go through what I've gone through. Well, remember, the decision is yours, but you must make it quickly. Then I've made it. How soon can the doctors do it? An easy decision? Yes, in a way. But then, after it was done, I found that the decision was still with me. After being discharged from the service in 1976, 
I began attending a church where I experienced a spiritual awakening. The pastor did all he could to help me with my troubled conscience. So, you made the decision without any pressure or coercion from anyone? Yeah. I thought it was an easy thing to do, but now I know I was wrong. Why? Well, my decision caused the killing of a human being, of God's creation. Isn't that true? According to my beliefs, yes. What about the commandment, Thou shalt not kill? It stands, Laura. God doesn't change his mind. Then I've committed the unforgivable sin. No. Your forgiveness was purchased on the cross. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. As you trust in him, you have the forgiveness that is given by the grace of God. But I've sinned terribly. What did Jesus say? Go and sin no more. The Bible says that God forgets our sins. How can I be sure of that? Because it says here. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. I went sleepless for days, tossed and turned at night, and wondered if I would ever be allowed to enter heaven. Then on Memorial Day, 1976, I received my answer. Jesus appeared to me in my sleep. He was as clear to me as heaven's stars. The look on his face was a look no artist could paint on canvas. His face and eyes were filled with love, understanding, and compassion. He walked to me, held me for a moment in his arms, and then was gone. I awoke with tears streaming down my face and my burden of guilt was taken away. Over time, I attended college and studied accounting. I also became a Sunday school teacher. Jesus has taught me valuable lessons and has taken the bitterness away and replaced it with peace and understanding. Best of all, perhaps, he has given me an opportunity to counsel with girls whose lives were much like mine, where I pass on the great hope I have in Christ. Thank God he can take away the darkness and replace it with the light and peace of his love. As we heard from Laura, home is a place where Jesus wants to hold and heal your heart. For many, the idea of a physical location or a safe family seems so foreign. But God wants to take your sadness and your fears and turn them to hope, an eternal hope in His Son, Jesus Christ. Friend, as sinners in a broken world, we are inherently lost and cut off from our Heavenly Father. But we don't have to remain there. Matthew chapter 18, verse 11 says, For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. And that salvation comes through the repentance of your sins and believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you do not know Christ personally as your Lord, please do not delay another moment. 
He is waiting for you. Now, we love hearing from our listeners here on the Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast, so send us your questions and we'll answer them here. It can be something you're curious about or just something you want to share with us. All you have to do is write us at podcast at unshackled.org or call and leave a message at 312-281-1264. We'd love to hear from you. Now, before we get to our sweepstakes drawing info, I just want to remind you to subscribe or like our Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast. You can even share it or tell a friend. We'd also love for you to review or rate our podcast, and don't forget to check out our other podcasts on this same platform, Unshackled Daily Devotionals and Unshackled in Person. We appreciate your input and involvement in our ministry, and again, please consider supporting us so we can freely offer quality Christian programming to the world. All right, here's the prize for our new upcoming sweepstakes contest. Another beautiful wooden scripture plaque, and it is John 8:12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I love that one. This is a gorgeous plaque, folks, especially if you're looking for daily inspiration from scripture. You will love this authentic and very unique wooden plaque. The plaque has been sawn from a tree branch or log and uh, cut in such a way as uh, to retain as much of the bark around the perimeter as possible. It's been handcrafted around the natural character and the beauty of the wood that, uh, well, God created. So all you have to do to enter our Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast sweepstakes drawing is call 312-281-1264 or email podcast at unshackled.org and give us your name, phone number, and email. The winner of this sweepstakes drawing for this beautiful scripture plaque will be announced November 1st, but the deadline for entry is October 20th. And next time... Where's your mittens? In the house. Where mine? I don't play much at recess anyway. I wish we didn't even have recess. It's just one more thing I hate. Just keep your head down. Less chance of being teased. Is that what you do? Every day. Searching for where he could fit in this world, Michael Matthews found acceptance in places that would lead down dark paths. All the girls have been asking if you're coming. I'm sorry, I had to go back for the cards. You should have seen all the people who showed up I didn't even invite. All because you're gonna be here. Really? They love you, man. Magic fits perfect with the drugs. But when his baby fell ill, he discovered his lifestyle wasn't as fun, hopeful, and abundant as he once saw it to be. All these years, all the sacrifices I made on this stupid altar, where'd it get me? Don't miss part one of his redemptive journey on the next Unshackled. Heard in the classic true story of Laura were Anna Maria Alvarez, Nicole Skimeka, Tina Glushenko, Allison Voller, Michael Walner, and Jim Craig. Original music and audio engineer Don Badorf. Sound effects Michael Walner. Recording engineer David Pierczynski. Script Jack O'Dell and Kylie Hammond. That's it for this week's Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast. So until next time, Unless our Lord returns before then, I'm Timothy Gregory, your brother in Christ.